Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, pastor at Hope, and we are so glad that you are listening in. We would love to connect with you in person at our Sunday gathering. In the meantime, we hope this message points you to Jesus, the reason we gather. So a few decades ago, I was in college, and I was in college studying English literature. And so no surprise, I love a good book recommendation. I love it now, and I loved it then. And so I remember asking one of my friends if he had read anything exciting lately. I said, have you read anything exciting lately? And he said to me, honestly, the book of Acts. And I remember being kind of disappointed with that recommendation. Uh, It's like when you ask someone what their favorite band is, and they say, the Beatles. I'm like, no, besides the Beatles, what's your favorite band? Can you please tell me? But here's the thing. He had a point. He had a point. There is not a more exciting read than the book of Acts. And this morning, we're going to find out why. But before we do that, let's just pray. Lord, would the words of my mouth and would the meditation of all of our hearts here this morning be pleasing and acceptable to you? You are a rock. You are our redeemer. Lord, what we need most this morning is the miracle, the miracle of transformation. We can hear information. We can learn new things, Lord, this morning. And we can walk out of this room with more head knowledge But if you do not transform us this morning by your word through the Holy Spirit, then that knowledge is nothing but a noisy symbol. And so we ask by the Holy Spirit this morning for the miracle of transformation so that our hearts here this morning would sing, would sing of the beauty of Jesus and that we would be transformed. And Lord, right now, make us, if we are not, make us Expectant. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in my life, I've driven two very old cars. One was my old Jeep, and one is my current Honda Civic. Uh, these cars had and have issues, like most old cars, but for different reasons. My Honda currently has issues because of overuse. It has like a ton of miles on it. But my Jeep... My Jeep kept breaking because of underuse. It didn't have barely any miles on it. Now my Honda, that makes sense to us. We get that, but my old Jeep does not, so let me just explain. Uh, The Jeep was an older Jeep, it was a 96. But its previous owners never drove it. And so when we got it, we thought we were getting this amazing deal. We're getting this, yeah, it's an old Jeep, but it's never been driven. It's like brand new, barely any miles. But here's the thing I learned. Cars are basically like really complex Rube Goldberg machines, you know, that are designed to move. They're designed actually to be driven. And so when they sit in a garage all the time, they actually surprisingly, break down. So it turns out there are two ways to break down a car. Overuse and underuse. Drive it to the ground, my Honda, park it in the garage, my Jeep. 
Well, the same can be said about you and me. We will break down from overuse and we will break down from underuse. I've shared this before, but I think most people oscillate. We oscillate between boredom and burnout. Boredom of the soul and burnout of the soul. So soul boredom is when we're parked in the garage. We have nothing to wake up for. Nothing to die for. We're comfortable, but we are miserable. We're like the humans in Wally. You know that movie? Like the bones of our soul are no longer connected to the member, like sort of the tendons and the muscles of our soul because we're just sitting around. We're sitting around. We've never been more comfortable as a society, and we've never been more miserable as a society. We have nothing to wake up for, nothing to live for, nothing to die for. And when we are parked in the garage like that, we break down. Soul burnout, on the other hand, is when we're driving all of the time without any rest, without any regular maintenance, without any respect for the God-given limits that He made on us. And so we can be so driven in life, so driven even to like justify our existence before others, before God Himself even, before our friends, before our colleagues, before our neighbors, before our roommates. We're so driven that we ignore the lights that are on our dash that are flashing, and then before long, we are just sort of on the side of the road, smoke pouring out of the hood. Our drivenness drives us to break down. I like how Eloise Renish Fraser describes this moment. My mind tries to talk me into business as usual, but my body isn't fooled. Insomnia, intestinal pain, diarrhea, let me know. There's work to be done. <laughs> Boredom and burnout. They are two sides of the same coin called breakdown. And that's a problem because God designed us for endurance. For a lifetime of driving. For mission. And we can actually call this mission enduring mission. What is enduring mission? Well, if you've been with us in the sermon series, we're calling Table Read. We're reading the whole Bible from beginning to end, one book at a time. And you know that in the beginning, humans were tasked to cultivate Eden. In Eden, humans were what? They were right with God. They were right with each other. They were right with the environment. They were even right with themselves. And so this is a flourishing garden with God's presence, the car, right off the block. And then our primordial parents and everyone after them were given this enduring mission. Right in the beginning, God says to expand this garden city. To encompass the whole earth. Expand, the word is shalom, flourishing. When everything is right, expand wholeness, expand God's fame, His glory, to cover the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. Well, we all know from reading Genesis 3, but we also know from experience, we know from this morning, probably, that this did not last long. 
We are thrust east of Eden by our sin, which broke everything. But here's the thing I want us all to remember and to realize and to grasp. Our sin did not break God's original enduring mission. God restates it in Genesis 12 when he calls this random man from Mesopotamia named Abram to himself. He renames him. He remakes him. And he says, hey, I'm going to give you an enduring mission. Be the headwaters of this massive river that will be blessed, that will bring blessing to the whole world. His family, eventually named Israel, carried the same enduring mission. Israel was called to be a light, was called to be a city on a hill. God says to them, I am going to replant and I'm going to re-expand Eden. You are going to be Eden again and then you are going to expand the borders. Does that sound familiar? It's the same mission. We learn that the temple itself, this place where God's name rested, was designed to look like a garden. That's not an accident. This is nothing new. God's enduring mission. Sin has sort of complicated the mission. Sin has, in a way, added to this mission. So that now there's a need for forgiveness. Now there's a need for restoration. But God takes care of that. That is not our mission. We are not tasked by God to save ourselves and to rescue ourselves and to restore ourselves. No, no, no. God takes care of that and He says, I saved you in order to be on my original enduring mission. Spread my fame, spread my glory, spread the borders of Eden to cover the entire earth as the waters cover the sea. So, fast forward to Jesus. God forgives and restores through Jesus. And when the risen Jesus, when the risen Jesus tells his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, which is a verse familiar to many of us this morning. When he says these words, he is not making up anything. This is not a new mission. It's God's original enduring mission. He's just repeating Genesis 1. He's just repeating Genesis 12. He is saying to these disciples, in light of my sure salvation, go, go and spread the borders. Spread my name and make Eden the whole globe. You have my empowering presence. What the temple pointed to, that sort of garden temple, what that pointed to is right here. You know, when Mary sees the risen Jesus, what does she say? Who are you, a gardener? John knows what he's saying. He's pointing to this promise, this enduring mission. And as we saw last week, God's mission is the only satisfying answer to the why question in our life. God's enduring mission is our enduring mission. And I believe that's the only thing that will keep us from breakdown, whether it is from burnout or whether it is from boredom. I think God's mission endures. And the book of Acts this morning tells us how. So the book of Acts, we read Luke last week, 
And we learn that Luke actually wrote two Gospels, as it were. The Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of, you know, of Jesus continuing to do his work through the early church, which is the book of Acts. They're actually connected. They're two volumes of the same work. And the book of Acts, then, is an explosion and an expansion, I think, of God's enduring mission. It's that moment when you're watering the garden, when the, when the hose gets unkinked, that's the book of Acts. It's the same mission, it's just sort of unkinked, and it's like expanding, and it's growing. And God's mission is, is going forward in amazing new ways in light of the resurrection, and in light, as we see, of the Spirit given to his people. And we're going to see two things this morning in the book of Acts about this enduring mission. We'll see how it answers our burnout. And we'll see how it answers our boredom. And we'll look at each in turn with you this morning. So first of all, God's enduring mission answers our burnout. See, the first thing that Acts teaches us about God's mission is that it is God's mission. Did you hear that? (laughs) The first thing we learn about God's mission is that it is God's mission. God's mission humbles us because He ultimately does not need us. So, the mission of God is an answer to our burnout because God doesn't actually need you. So, basic theology 101. Ready for it? God doesn't need anything. Okay? That's just 101. Like, write that down. God does not need anything. Paul says this to the folks in Athens. Human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies everything. So if you want to talk about need, it ain't God, it's you, and God satisfies it, okay? So 101, friends, God does not actually need you for his mission. And this applies to his mission in a couple ways. Number one, God's mission is certain. So scholars will divide up the book of Acts into six parts, or to change the metaphor, six episodes. And so if Acts were a Netflix series, and this this series would be about the post-resurrection community of Jesus. And yes, as my friend said it, it would be an exciting, exciting story to watch unfold. In each episode, if you imagine yourself watching them as episodes, each episode at the end, when everything kind of goes black, and and right before the credits, sometimes there's a text in these sort of true stories, and the text gives you like the synopsis or the summary, or the what happens next kind of moment. Like if we were to do that with the book of Acts, we would see the same thing over and over again. See, Luke actually does that. He has six episodes for us. And at the end of each episode, he says the same thing. So in chapter 6, verse 7, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And then later, after after the next episode, the church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And it became stronger as believers lived in the fear of the Lord, and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Alright, next episode. How's it end? Chapter 12, 24. Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread, and there were many new believers. 
Okay, next episode. How does it end? So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. Next episode. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Gordon Fee, a New Testament scholar whose summaries of the New Testament books have been so helpful to me, he makes the point that everything that happens in between these summary statements, almost everything that happens in there is sort of like opposition of every kind. Everything from internal opposition, like the early church imploding, and then you have external opposition, people who are just straight up against it. You have everything between shipwrecks and snake bites as well. I'm telling you, it is an exciting read. All of it though, all of it, all of it happens in between these summary statements. So what does that tell you? God's mission is certain. I mean, the very last words of Acts are without hindrance. That's how Luke ends the account of the book of Acts. The early church, if it were to be summarized with Two words would be without hindrance. There were plenty of obstacles, but the church still moved on. Why? Because his mission is his mission. His mission is his mission. If this were sort of up to us, then everything that would happen in the book of Acts would crumble to thin. But it doesn't happen. Consider Peter. Remember Peter? He had a special knack for opposing the mission of God. He had good intentions. But I I remember Jesus saying to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Like, you're in my way. So Jesus is on a mission. Peter's in front of him. And and so it's God's mission. So Jesus says, get behind me. You're acting like Satan. You're you're opposing the mission. And I'm not going to let the mission tank, even with with your good intentions. Nothing will hinder the mission of God. Not even a good intentioned believer who is in the way. Well, Peter was restored time and time again. But later he opposed the idea that God would expand his mission to include the Gentiles. Now, we knew this all along because when God calls Abram, he says, I'm going to make you into a nation. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to people just like you. That's not at all what he said. He said, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to the whole world. Remember, the enduring mission is to spread even to encompass the entire world. So in a way, Acts is nothing new. But as I said, it is the hose being unkinked. And Peter is expressly opposed to the idea that non-Jewish men and non-Jewish women would be a part of God's mission. Again, the best intentions. But here what Peter says in chapter 11, verse 15. He says this. As I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as he fell on us at the beginning, speaking about Pentecost. Verse 16 of chapter 11. Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Hear what Peter says. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? Peter knows what it's like to stand in God's way. And Peter says, not this time. Not this time. God is on the move. 
He is going to fulfill his mission. His mission, friends, is certain. It's also supernatural. We see this with one little word in the very first verse of the very first chapter. So if you have Acts open, you can take a look. If you don't, I'll just put it up on the screen. This is the very first thing that we encounter in Luke's account. In my first book, that's the book of Luke, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. The one little word that I so love is began. Friends, if Luke is all that Jesus began to do, Acts is all that Jesus continues to do. Jesus is risen. Amen? He is alive. He has ascended to the throne, just as the promise that David said he would. He has ascended to the throne where he is right now. He promises to come back. But does that mean he's just sitting on the bleachers, like watching everything happen, like I do when my kids are playing soccer? No, no, that's not at all what it means. Jesus is risen, he's ascended on the throne, but he is every bit as much on the field as when he was in the book of Luke. How so? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is how so. During the Jewish festival of Pentecost, the whole world almost sort of gathers to Jerusalem. And that was happening in the book of Acts chapter 2. And it's here that the that Holy Spirit is poured out upon the believers. And so Peter explains what is happening to the crowds. God raised Jesus from the dead. And we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand, the ascension. And the Father, as he had promised, gave who? Gave Jesus the Holy Spirit. Why? To pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. I love how the New Testament scholar Gordon Fee puts it. Christ, the great bearer of the Spirit, is also the great baptizer in the Spirit. So that others will receive the Spirit and thus bear witness to Jesus. So yes, the mission advances through broken humans like you, broken humans like me, but that is because God is advancing the mission through us by the Holy Spirit. And that has some amazing and I think empowering implications for all of our lives, no matter where you're at this morning, that we're going to explore in a bit. Right now, all I want you to rest in is the sure truth that God's mission is God's mission. That God's mission is certain, and God's mission is supernatural. In fact, God's mission is certain because God's mission is supernatural. And that solves burnout, like nothing else will. That solves burnout because... His mission doesn't ultimately ride on me. It doesn't ultimately ride on you. Friends, it does not ultimately ride on having our cables and cords to do worship in a rental building. It doesn't ride on the success of Hope Church. 
God's mission is God's mission. So I don't have to burn myself out. And neither do you. God doesn't need, need you. And this is why God's mission is enduring. His mission doesn't ultimately rest on our shoulders. We rest on it. There's a British pastor whose name is Andrew Wilson. He compares spirit-filled mission to sailing. A sailor works and sweats and uses all of who they are and all that they know, all of their expertise, all of their wisdom, all of their rigor, but they do not cause the boat to move a single inch. Compare this to a rower. Anybody do crew? Compare this to a rower. A rower uses all of their strength, all of their wisdom, all of their expertise, all of their rigor as well. But the key difference between a rower and a sailor is that a sailor knows They didn't move the boat. A rower knows it's all up to them to move the boat. The sailor knows if the wind doesn't blow, their efforts don't amount to anything. They ain't going anywhere. I just got a kite, like a really cool kite, and so I'm like eager to fly the thing. It's a cool kite. I'm telling you, kites since I was a kid, have like upped their game big time. It's almost like you're putting together a tent, but it's a kite. Anyway, I'm eager to fly this thing, so I go out to the park near me, and the wind's just not there. It's just not there. And I'm running. You're not supposed to run to launch a kite, by the way. That's a bad way to launch a kite. I learned this online. But this is the thing. If there's no wind, it's not going anywhere. It doesn't matter what my expertise is. And so a good kite flyer, just like a good sailor, they basically use their expertise and their wisdom to essentially harness the wind. Doesn't mean we, you know, look at this picture. I love this picture, this painting. Doesn't mean we just sort of relax. We, God uses our, our, our skills, it's effort. But God's mission answers are burnout because it's God's mission. And this has a couple implications for us this morning. Number one, it says stop rowing. Okay? Stop rowing. Don't assume that your hard work equals kingdom work, please. Sometimes our hardest and most exhausting work for Jesus builds nothing but burnout in a trail of it behind you. Can God use that stuff? Of course he can. It's God's mission. But unless the Lord builds a house, its builders build in vain. So stop rowing and start sailing. Start sailing. Just ponder this image even this week if you want to. Sailing looks, I've never done it. Anybody sailed before? I've never sailed. Yeah, it looks like hard work. But at the end of the day, it's the wind that moved you better. You're just positioning the sails. 
This means, I think, that we can have a paradoxical, surprising rest, even as we are on mission. Even as we are tired from mission. We can still be at rest. It's a soul rest, because we know God, God, God is doing this. God is doing this. And for this reason, I believe God loves it when you recognize your limits and you say no thanks to a volunteer ask even in the church because you know that you are edging burnout. Here's why. Because God wants you on his mission. He doesn't need you on his mission. He didn't build you to burn out on the side of the road. Which brings us to our second point this morning. His mission answers our boredom. Luke reveals a mission of God that is enduring because in the end, he doesn't need you, but also in the end, he, he like, wants you. He loves you. He invites you. He calls you. So remember Theology 101. What was Theology 101? God doesn't need anything. Right? God is not fundamentally needy. He doesn't even need creation. Did you know that? He doesn't even need this world. <clears throat> Father, Son, Holy Spirit, triune, our triune God has been satisfied in an eternally joyful community as Father, Son, Holy Spirit mysteriously but out of creative love and desire, he created and spoke forth creation. He created you. And so out of love and out of desire, he wants you. He invites you to take part in his love and in his mission. And that's why God's angelic messengers tell the disciples in chapter 1, as they're watching Jesus ascend and sort of prove to those watching that he is ascending to David's throne, and what do the angel messengers say? Why are you standing there? That's what they say. Why are you standing there and watching? He's going to come back just the way he arose. So get to work. God is summoning you to take part in his mission. He doesn't need you, but he wants you. And that answers our boredom. That answers our boredom. How can we then stop standing? Maybe that's us this morning. I know some of us are burnt out, and you need to hear that this is God's mission. Some of us, though, are on this side, and we're just standing. We're standing and we're looking at Jesus from afar, and we're just standing. And our, like we're breaking down, like my old Jeep. We're in the garage, and we're just bored. We're bored. We have a boredom in the soul. How do we stop standing? Two simple ways from the book of Acts. Number one, don't hide your sword. In Acts 4.20, the religious leaders try and stop Peter and John from being on mission. And this is what Peter and John have to say in response. We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. That's your mission, our mission, that's our enduring mission in a nutshell. We simply tell others about what we have seen and heard Jesus do. 
in history and in our life. Remember, Jesus is still active. So we simply tell others what we have seen and heard. But it's our voice, it's our accent, it's our story. I think we see this with the Apostle Paul. By the way, Paul, we're going we're gonna to encounter a lot of Paul soon. Because a lot of the New Testament is letters that Paul wrote to churches that he helped start. Well, we meet Paul for the first time in the book of Acts. And when we meet Paul for the first time, he is Saul. His name is Saul, and he's hunting down Christians. Unlike Peter, who had good intentions when he stood in front of the mission of God, Paul, Paul was like, literally like, no, I have bad intentions and I'm going to stop what God is doing. But just like Peter, Paul gets a word from Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? He knocks him off his horse. He changes his life forever. And he gets a new name, Paul, which means little. Little. Small. Small point. A name he is As John the Baptist puts it, Oh, may Jesus increase and I decrease. And as someone of old put it, we are simply John the Baptist's finger in life. And so is Paul. We point to Jesus. And we point to Jesus with our story, just like Paul. Just like Paul. In Acts alone, Paul tells his story not once, but three different times. Talk about redundant. Why do we need Paul's story three times in the book of Acts? Why does Luke have Paul's story three times? Now, Paul tells his story three times in three different locations. Couldn't Luke have just saved scroll paper and said, refer back, refer back? Or, and Paul proceeded to tell a story. That's not what happens. Why? Because they cannot stop telling about everything that he has seen and heard, and especially in his life. And friends, we are not Paul. But if we know Jesus, we are like Paul in a very important respect. We simply tell our story. And Jesus is the hero. And that's our mission. Don't hide your story, friends. You may think your story is not exciting because you've heard more exciting stories according to the canons of excitement in America. I'm here to tell you that if Jesus is the hero of your story, it is not boring. And neither will it be boring to your neighbor or to your friends. And if we believe in the Holy Spirit, which we do, then simply telling others your story with Jesus as the hero could be the most radical thing in your life and it could kill the boredom that you're experiencing today. If you are born, God might be summoning you to simply tell your story. There's nothing more exciting than that prospect. And I'll say this to you. Number two, don't hide your weakness when you tell your story. One of my favorite words in the book of Acts is the word we. It's the word we. Because out of nowhere in Acts 16, 
The pronouns shift from they. They did this. They did this. So Luke is reporting what he found out in his research project. Remember, Theophilus funded this research project. And Luke is like, I'm going to tell you what I've learned. And so it's they did this. They did that. They did this. They planted churches. The, the Holy Spirit did this. And they increased. They, 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 they. And then in chapter 16, verse 7, we see this amazing shift. They, it says in verse 8, went on through Magia to the seaport of Troas. That night Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Verse 10. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once. Having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. This happens again in chapter 20. This happens again in chapter 27. And all the way to the end. This means that in Acts, we're not just getting reporting from Luke. We are actually getting Luke's, probably his diary. Parts of it. But here's what's cool. I learned this from Fee. Luke doesn't insert himself in a proud way. Does he? He calls the we and acts without fanfare. Luke inserts himself in chapter 11, 16, verse 10, without fanfare. He just simply is like, oh yeah, by the way, I was a part of this amazing thing that God was doing. Luke could have like started like a book tour with his connections, with his finances. He could have packed out a stadium with a story, but instead he simply reports what he saw and heard about Jesus in a very humble way. And friends, this is the surprise of hope. A phrase that's important to us. The surprise of hope is that God calls us to lead in humility. God calls us to not hide our weakness. This is not timidity. Humility in the scriptures is not timidity, but it is humility. And so Paul and the others are bold as lions. Bold as lions. So in Acts 26, 26, Paul tells the governor, the governor, Festus, I speak boldly, for I am sure these events are all familiar to the king, for they were not done in a corner. They were not done in a corner. So Paul and others are bold, and they speak boldly. But this is because they are speaking about Jesus, not because they are speaking about themselves. They're simply insisting that a dead man is now alive. And that's making them bold. Because it's not about them at all. So hear this. Our, our, our mission, if it is to tell the story, is not a highlight reel of our life. If anything, it is sort of a low light film, if that's a word. I know, because I love Liverpool Football Club, I know that at halftime, their coach, Jurgen Klopp, has his, he has like a special coach who makes a highlight reel for the first half of the play. And then all the players come in, and this is genius, they all sit down and they watch highlight, highlight from the first half. And so Klopp is like, more of this, more of this, more of this. And he gets them fired up. And almost inevitably, they come out and they're like doing more of the good things. Okay? Well, it might be tempting for us to think that that's God's mission for us. Yeah, yeah, go out there and just keep on killing it. Do awesome and show everybody how awesome you are. 
But it's the surprise of hope that it's actually our humility that moves in power. It's our weaknesses that move in power. It's our failures that move in power. It's our deaths, lowercase d, that move in power. Why? Well, let's rehearse what we learned already. This is God's mission. Jesus is on the move. Through who? Whom? The Holy Spirit. So isn't it just like God to be more reliably present in our deaths and more powerfully on the move in our weakness? Wouldn't that be a good strategy of the Lord if He's like, I'm going to expand my glory and my fame through normal human beings who are broken? That it wouldn't be about us? At all? If you've ever been the third wheel at an event, you know that awful feeling of being invited, not invited? It's sort of it feels awful. You'd almost rather not go to the movies or to dinner or whatever if, you have, if you're going with the knowledge or the fear that you're like a kiddie invite. You don't want that. Well, that's not God's invitation. Friends, I'm afraid too many of us think that is indeed God's invitation to us. It's a third real pity invite. No, no, no. God says passionately, why are you standing there? Why are you standing around? I've invited you to the biggest thing possible. My enduring mission. My enduring mission. Why are you standing here? To close out, I just think there are two terrible lies that we believe. One is this. My story has nothing to offer. And the second one is this. It's all up to me. Those are the two lies that are just gripping us right now. I have nothing to, to offer or to say. And it's all up to me. The I have nothing to offer lie leads to boredom and atrophy. It's like a cast around your soul. The other one breaks bones. It's not up to you. So let me ask you one more time. Are you burning out? God's enduring mission says it's not up to you. Why are you standing here? And if, friends, you're bored, God's mission says you have so much to offer. Tell your story. Go in the power of the Holy Spirit. I hope we have a value. We are all missionaries. No matter where you are, no matter what your circumstances are, that never changes. You have a mission. It's God's enduring mission. Lord, keep us on this. Encourage us this morning with your word, with your testimony in the book of Acts. Thank you that we are, gosh, we are in that. We are taking part in that, what we see beginning in the book of Acts. It's an amazing privilege. Thank you for the magnitude of it. And thank you that you've called us to it. You say to us each, and to us as a church, why are you standing? So Lord, open up a vista in front of us. Open up a simple pathway. Maybe, Lord, this morning where we can just take one baby step on your enduring mission. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray this. Amen.
for listening in. For more resources like this and to learn more about hope, please visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org. Thank you.